Welcome, boils and ghouls, to episode five of Those Who Remain. We have a really great show lined up for you today. We're going to dive headfirst into the deep end of madness and despair as we break down Ari Aster's films, Hereditary and Midsummer. We're also going to be catching up with friend, filmmaker, and all-around great person, Jake S. Weissman, as well as delving into some appropriately creepy stuff along the way. Thanks to everyone who checked out our last four episodes, and we really hope you enjoy the show that we have in store. Our guest today is a longtime friend of Into the Void Films. He is a writer, director, producer, actor, and so much more that we can't even begin to describe. His feature film Scrapers is currently on Amazon Prime, and his web series Clean Sheets is currently streaming on YouTube. As an actor, Jake appears most recently in the short film Winnie and Charlotte's Last Night at the Oasis, uh, directed by our friend Luke Taylor, that's also on Amazon Prime. I had the pleasure of meeting our guest when I started working at the New 400 Theater in, in uh, Rogers Park, and I knew in that moment that we would be friends forever. He's a great talent and inspiration to me as a person and filmmaker, and one of the best writers that I know. It's my huge honor to welcome our friend and our guest for today's episode, Jake S. Wiseman. This is Those Who Remain. That's lovely. Thank you. Thank you, man. That was a great intro. It's the tooth. <laughs> so before we get into Hereditary and Midsummer, we're going to preface this with a spoiler alert. We're going to spoil the fuck out of this movie. So we're going to get into the nitty gritty of the plots, who lives, who dies, all that stuff that you don't want spoiled for you before you go into a movie. So if you haven't seen uh, either of these films, hit the pause button, go check them out, and come back and enjoy our breakdown of Hereditary and Midsummer. And to be fair, these are a couple and a few years old, so you should have seen these by now. Come on. True. I mean, it, it took Jake and I a couple years to see him. I, I just saw it for the first time. Last I know. Week. I know. <laughs> yeah, no, it's. Well, we, for me. we made or, the uh, we made the rule though that if it's a year old, we can talk about it. Mm-hmm, totally. <laughs> yeah, we just do the spoiler alert just to be nice. Yeah, we're just but trying to be nice, guys. I did it for the sixth sense, and I was like, "Really? Did I just come on? Everyone's seen it." It's a good place to start because at least I know I get to talk about whatever I want. So yeah. you know. Wherever the conversation takes, rather. Well, I just want to open the floor to you guys and get your impressions on. Uh, should we do one movie at a time? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then just, yeah. okay. Okay, so let's start with Hereditary first, guys. I um, I absolutely loved Hereditary. Hereditary was probably one of my favorite newer horror films that have um, come out. Um, and just by, like, looking at the IMDb, and not that any of this really matters, you know, because it at the end of the day, it's just what you like. Um, but... 104 nominations and 45 wins for this film and that's pretty fucking awesome wow um you know and and again like i'm not a review person like like i don't even though we're we're reviewing the film right now so don't listen to anything i fucking say because it doesn't matter um (laughs) decide for your fucking self (laughs) but you know uh i just loved it like i said one of my favorite films of 2018 for sure if you had to elevator pitch someone on this movie, just sum it up in a real quick little blurb. What would you say for the movie? As far as like plot goes. Oh yeah. Yeah. I got this. A grieving family is haunted by tragic and disturbing occurrences. That's what's on IMDb. <laughs> like so, literally just okay. right. I'm like, that's, like, that's like steers so... you completely astray from what the movie actually is. <laughs> Which I mean, is what the, what the poster does too. Cause you're like, Oh, it's going to be about that little girl. Yeah, that was a, all of it is a complete surprise. I mean, the whole movie, it it was a real joy to read some stuff with Ari Aster. Um, And before I dive in, thank you guys for having me on. It's nice to talk to human beings and and (laughs) talk to some dorks and and you guys are so professional. What a lovely intro and you guys have such great voices. So I'm really excited about this. Thank you, man. Um, It's our pleasure. (laughs) And it's really exciting to talk about like good filmmaking because I spend a lot of time talking about, um, well, I spend time talking about good filmmaking, but, you know, like when you watch a lot of YouTube, everyone's breaking down these stupid movies and stuff like that. And uh, I got on a real kick. I started watching these really long movies and um, I, I found myself waking up one morning and watching Midsummer, and then being like, well, now I have to watch Hereditary. So it was just one of those things where like you wake up one morning and it's like, I guess I'm watching these stupid, these movies. Um, 
they're not stupid. I, but like I was saying to you, uh, I was, I avoided them for a long time, man. I, we got hereditary at the theater and it slayed. It did really well. Yeah. And people were terrified. And I'm constantly on the lookout for a horror movie to scare me. <laughs> I know how stupid that sounds, but when I was, a, there's no, how do I say this? There is no horror movie out there that is scarier than how scary I thought horror movies were going to be when I was a kid. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. It's like this dragon that you chase the rest of your life. Totally. Um, and we should tell that story, uh, Nate. Uh, I don't want to get too distracted, but that story of those kids sneaking into The Conjuring too, because that's one of my favorite Nate stories ever. Uh, oh, for sure. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when, you, have to, you have to jog my memory a little bit. I'm sorry. Oh, well, what happened was, uh, I think it was, and this is just an aside. Sorry if this ends up going everywhere, but it put things into perspective for me as far as um, horror movies are concerned. That uh, it was a group of maybe six, seven kids ranging from, I swear to God, 12 years old to eight. They were really oh, yeah. young. And they <laughs> snuck into theater one to see The Conjuring 2 or one of the... It, was, it wasn't Conjuring 2. Yeah, it was like none or something. It wasn't, it was something that wasn't, it, it could have been scarier, right? Right. And so it was just me and Nate probably on a Saturday morning. And I looked at him and I was like, <laughs> do I need to kick these kids out? And he's like, no, just go in there and tell them that we saw them. And he's like, that'll scare them more than anything in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so I walked into the theater and stood right in front of them because they thought they were real slick. And I was like, I see all of you. And they just shrink I down. I see into what you're doing. Exactly. They all get real, <laughs> the blood drains from their face. They get terrified. I'm like, I'm letting you stay in here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, let them have an experience. Let that yeah. eat get terrified. Yeah. You know? And I always had this thing like no matter how annoying kids would get we'd always say like at least they're hanging out with us where we know they're safe like yeah, that is true they're, they're driving us crazy but i would rather them be safe with us than elsewhere uh there are times when they were so bad that i would rather them be elsewhere i will yeah but um <laughs> Totally, man. I remember, yeah, I remember being like, let those kids watch the movie, man. It's going to be a formative experience. <laughs> and and I do stand by that they were far more scared of me than Absolutely. anything that happened in that movie. But I'm glad to be a memory for them. I wanted to be that memory for them. Yeah, I love that stuff. And I, I attribute that to Nate because any if I was working with anyone else, those kids would have been kicked the fuck out. Yeah, they just like so, boot them out. Yeah, because but it's like one o'clock on a Saturday watching Annabelle when no one else is in there and the kids were going to be quiet. Like they wanted, they wanted to get scared. It wasn't like they wanted to sit there and talk. If they were right. 15, that would be something else. Anyway, so a lot of my experience with these uh, horror movies are either, well, now I live with Hillary, who is a junkie. Like we're constantly watching this stuff, um, constantly looking for something scary and uh, what came through the movie theater. And Hereditary was one of the only horror movies that actually played real hard as far as, I mean, like, it wasn't as successful as It, right? No. It, yeah, right. it was more successful than most, considering it's like this indie. Yeah, I could be wrong, but I think it cost 10 mil to make and it made like 70 or 80 or something like that. This guy's a monster. Uh, Our master's yeah. a fucking... <laughs> And what did what did Midsummer cost? Does anyone know off, off the dome? I, I, it's got to be more because it's like a production like twenty or thirty yeah, or something. Sure. Oh yeah, so let's let's say that just because that makes sense, you know, for the second the follow up. Right. But like yeah, because like the the scope is so much bigger for for Midsummer. There are so many things that make sense about that. Where it's like I read I read a couple things Nine about Master Midsummer. Oh, what was it? Nine? Yeah. Oh, he said he said I can make it for one under what we did the last one, guys. You guys, we're sitting here. <sighs> we thought he had like thirty mil. Yeah, no, the movies we watch—that's that's fucking thirty million dollars. That looks like it's ten million dollars. Mm -hmm. This guy made a movie that's ten million dollars. That looks, looks like, like it's thirty great. million. Yeah, yeah, props. He's a smart guy. <laughs> uh, but uh, what was I gonna say? That he wrote Midsummer before he wrote Hereditary. 
Oh, really? And that makes perfect sense because they're these sister movies, right? And everyone yeah. loves talking about how they're sister films, but I get that writerly thing where it's like, oh, shit, we can't afford to do Midsummer. Well, let's kind of do the same thing, but not do the same thing. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. Like, that's how you get those sister kind of films. Like, uh, how can we do that cult thing, but on a kind of smaller... Yeah, we'll make it about a family and it's all about this, like, the, the right. friends of the mom. Totally. Well, I think, I, think uh, I don't think her, uh, Hereditary was meant to be a horror film when he originally wrote it. Um, yeah, I read that as well. Yeah, so, so there was that. And then um, what was the other thing I was reading? Halfway through, he was like, this would be pretty cool. <laughs> right? Yeah, pretty much. Like, <laughs> which I feel like all of our stuff that we make, it's like the same shit. We're just that's like, what if we for. did this? <laughs> well, it turned it from, that's a movie that I do not want to watch to a movie that I absolutely want to watch. Yeah. Um, and I also read that he is a big South Korean cinema fan, which yeah. I am as well. And one of the things, if you don't know anything about South Korean cinema, is that the best of them, like way before Parasite, whatever, the best of them, it's a movie where you think you understand what's going on, and then 20 minutes into it, you get the resolution that you would have gotten an hour and a half by the end of the American version of it. Mm -hmm. And so you end up, and these movies are long. So you end up having more than two hours of like, what the fuck is going to happen next? Which Hereditary, if you've seen Hereditary, absolutely happens. It's going in a direction and then one thing happens and then all of a sudden it's like, where the fuck is this movie going to go? <laughs> yeah, the what last the 20 minutes you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, uh, as an aside... Uh, I think you guys will appreciate this. The night before I watched Midsummer, Hillary turned me on to The Collector. I had never nice. seen The Collector before because she went to high school with one of the writers, right? Mm -hmm. So oh, we nice. were like watching, we've been watching Feast and Feast 2. It's just ridiculous shit. Um, and they also did the Saw, uh, like Saw 4 through fucking... Not uh, the final chapter of the 3d one and then they, they jumped they, they actually they didn't do the the last one yeah no they didn't do uh, jigsaw but they did saw right. 3d right you're right you're absolutely correct you're absolutely right anyway i'm watching the collector and i liked it but i was wincing like just like holding on to hillary like like having to yell out loud it's a puppet it's just a puppet <laughs> like this is like i don't know what they were doing like lots of um finger cutting off with razors and just like that visceral uh, uh it's 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 special effects it's fine it's special effects the next morning i watch midsummer and they jump off the cliff yeah and i start laughing so hard <laughs> and i just couldn't tell the dip like it, that's the difference between these movies for some reason one of them, I was like, I just am feeling every little bit of this. And then they grab that big hammer and smash that dude's head. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah. I was like this sure. is a great movie. What's yeah. happening? <laughs> uh, back to Collector, though. I, I, I remember this quote from Bruce Campbell where someone asked him about, like, the torture porn subgenre. Uh -huh. And it's such a good quote. I'm sure Hillary would get a kick out of it. But he was like, to me, the torture porn genre is just really about how can you put a guy's wiener in a vice and figure out different ways to poke it with a stick yeah there you go and, um, yep. <laughs> which is such a bruce campbell ism Very you know so. um but yeah that's the difference like hereditary the violence is so appalling and just out of nowhere that like i i chuckled too man i'm not even embarrassed to say because i was so yeah. like shocked my reaction was ha, 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 ha. You know, <laughs> <and it's> like, <laughs> i'm i'm so lucky that i was that uh hereditary wasn't ruined for me it wasn't whatsoever it was a complete shock and I'm watching this movie by myself. Hillary's asleep in the next room. And I'm like, whoa! <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it's a, a very, now it's, I said it on Facebook, I think, and I will stand by my, hyper, my hyperbole, excuse me, I will stand by my hyperbole, best death in a horror film. It is my favorite. Got to be one, my favorite. One of the best ones, though. And I, and I remember sitting in the back of the theater, like you know, because we had the privilege of watching people react to that movie for a month and a half. <laughs> and I, I get to sit in so many movies, 
at that theater, man. It's kind of interesting the, the period of time we worked there, right? Like yeah. for me, it was Mad Max, Fury Road, through the Invisible Man. So that just paints a picture of what I basically was there for. But uh, with with Hereditary, like seeing people jump at that that scare when Tony Collette's in the car and you hear the like yeah. that makes people jump every time. Uh, yeah. That kill got like screams. People walked out a couple times. It's incredible. Yeah, it's amazing. What an incredible death. Yeah, I, I think um, when the the I think why people were so shocked by it was, um, you know, if you watch the trailer for Hereditary, um, she's throughout the whole trailer. Like she's a big sure. part of the trailer, and then mm-hmm. she gets killed off within a quarter of the movie. Yeah, they Janet Lee her man, and you're Literally. like, oh shit. <laughs> and it's it's so like. Um, I'm an asthmatic. So the whole thing where she's eating nuts and then her throat's closing up and they're yeah. driving, she's That's trying horrible. to get the air. Like I've never, I'm lucky enough to have never been in a situation where like it's ever been that bad. I've been to the hospital or whatever for my asthma, but like never like got to open the door and stick my head out. But boy, was that fun. What a fun, like I can't get over it. I don't know if I'll be able to get over it. And then all of the, like crazy cinematic moves afterwards oh, in terms of uh, editing and staying on his face. Ari Aster moves the camera so interestingly. I watched a uh, like a podcast with him. It's uh, actually part of Eli Roth's History of Horror. It's, it's on Shutter right now. It's uh, part of season two. Uh, he sits down with Ari and they talk about uh, both films. And uh, with Hereditary, it's really interesting because his whole approach was to, you know, it's that, that South Korean horror cinema approach. And um, it's like pulling this rubber band very, very slowly. And right in the last 20 minutes, it snaps and kind of all hell breaks loose and it turns into this operatic fever dream, right? But um, to me, some of the stuff that really sticks out when Charlie gets killed is his refusal to look in the rear view mirror and how the camera goes to move and then darts back because he's too scared to absolutely beautiful just it's it's like a, it's like horror perfection when he's sitting in bed and you hear tony collette go to the car and just her tortured screams as she discovers yeah. her daughter dead and you know when he's in class later and he sees the rear view mirror like those are just like really you know i don't want to blow smoke at this guy too much but it's like masterful touches mm-hmm. that just really they are they, they, it's so good. Like if I was a yep. chef, I'd go, Mwah. Yeah. <laughs> the chef's kiss. Um, yeah. they, uh, especially that bringing the audience with like, um, did he just leave her in the car mm-hmm. and yeah. go to bed for her, for his parents to fucking find her? Like you think that's what's going on. And then the uh, realization of that is terrifying. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, before we get go any further, I have to say my other hyperbolic thing, which is we can all talk about who the next heir to the Kubrick throne is. <laughs> but there's something in these early films where I'm like, I, I don't know what this guy's going to make when he's in his mid-50s or in his late 60s or something, but it's going to be miraculous. Like, oh, for sure. I, I, know, I know that's real smoke blowing. But um, but just based off these two movies, it's like the proof is in the pudding, you know. I think he said he's 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 got ten scripts. Yeah, up yeah. That he, wants he said to he has. Do. I want. Yeah, I think I watched the same interview. He said he has ten scripts sitting around that are ready to go. Yeah. And the other thing he said is that he, you know, he did the same thing that we all do. I mean, you guys are horror boys, so I'll I'll take that back. But this this there is a common thing among Hollywood and writers and creatives and people trying to break in where it's like, oh, let's just do horror. Like, oh, we can't break in. Let's do horror. And apparently he had written many, many things. His shorts, his his AFI shorts sound, I, I read their, uh, the synopses and I'm never going to watch those shorts. They sound terrifying. Not terrifying, just like really gut-wrenching and gross feeling. Um, and, and then he was like, I can't get any of these made. Let me do a horror movie. And that's how he ends up with Hereditary and Midsummer. And so... I'm very curious to see what happens when, right. when they're like, here, take the money and do whatever. Like, I am too. And I would love to see him break out of the genre too, you know? And, and I mean, if he wants to, you know, and like, I, I, I know with Wes Craven, that's the thing people asked him about all the time. Like, 
there's this thing where people are like, you know, in the film space, people act like horror is this kind of ghetto, right, in the industry. Mm-hmm. And Wes Craven had this great response where he's like, a lot of great things came from the ghetto. Jazz came from the ghetto. <laughs> That's great. And right? so he's like, so he said, he straight up said, he's like, I wanted to make other movies. I got to go make my my music teacher movie, Music of the yeah. Heart with Barbara Streisand. I got her a, a Meryl Streep. It was Meryl Streep. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, Meryl Streep. Excuse me. Um, but he got her a uh, Academy Award nomination for it. So he, he got to do his thing, you know, outside yeah. of that, outside of that space. And he learned to love the genre and and the opportunities that it afforded him. But it definitely seems like a uh, a popular move for a lot of directors is to kind of use the horror genre as a as a stepping stone into things that they that they really want to do. He'll end up. I think he's going to keep doing disturbing things, but also In some capacity. Yeah, there's that level, I keep talking about it with my friends, where I'm like, do you guys realize how crazy it is, the concept of Peter Jackson's King Kong? Like, I was like, just thinking think about, about this it. the other day, actually. Think about how much money was spent to take an 85-minute movie and make this three-and-a-half-hour-long, $200 million fan fiction that no one asked for. It was strictly like, just like he wanted to do it and no one was going to stop him. And he had just done the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy. And so he had the pass and what he chose to do, <laughs> what Peter Jackson chose to do <laughs> was make a $200 million, three and a half hour long King Kong fan fiction. <laughs> and uh, it was so normal at the time, but right now I keep, I can't get over it. So I'm ready for Ari Aster's Peter Jackson's King Kong. Oh, totally. It's like, What's the thing? What's your Southland Tales? What is your your passion that's gonna fuck us up and really divide the audience? What if he does like a two hundred million dollar version of William Castle's The Tingler? <laughs> as long as uh, isn't that the one where they actually put shit in the? Yeah, they like electrocute the seats. And the money, money well spent. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. I I can't wait to see what else he does, and it's just. I was impressed and I like, I'm kind of glad I didn't, I didn't watch the movies right away. You know, like I'm, I'm kind of, I'm that way with a lot of things. Like it took me like a year and a half to watch the first season of stranger things, you know, like it just takes me a while, but I'm, I'm glad I eventually got there. And, you know, now I can, I'm finally, I can join the conversation with everyone else with how great the the movies are. That's how it is with me and like Damien Chazelle. Yeah, totally. I've seen Whiplash once and I watched First Man, still haven't seen La La Land. You know, it took me forever to watch Whiplash and I'm like, hey, did you guys know that this movie's really good? It's very well written. (laughs) It's really fun to actually see movie making, goddammit. It's just nice to see like people actually making movies. It's really fun. It's fun to see Tony Collette's face. Uh, when they keep cutting to her face and she's terrified. That's the kind of shit that I love, that that old shining, you know, bullshit. Face so. on her face? The face yeah. on her face. That's you know, like the best line of all time. It is. Um, and they just, they hold on some of these shots for, it's just an uncomfortable, but so powerful yeah. amount of time. And I love it so much. Yeah. It's one of my favorite tactics to use in... Mm-hmm. When I see movies, I uh, I ripped off. Um, you guys know Boogie Nights. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At the end of Boogie Nights, there's a push in of uh, Mark Wahlberg when he's about to die, or they're at you know Alfred Molina's and they're lighting off the fireworks inside and stuff, and everything's going wrong, and they just stay on Mark Wahlberg's face for like two minutes, where you can watch him in his eyes recount the entire plot of the story. Yeah. and ask himself how he got to exactly where he was. Right. And I totally stole it and put it at the end of Scrapers. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, fuck it. I'll have my character do this. And that's what I told her too. I was like, uh, when I shot it, I was like, however long you think you need to be quiet, keep staying. Like, just keep holding. Just hold and hold. And I, I love that kind of stuff. I just, it's so nice to see people playing with the form again. Because, uh You'd think there would be a lot more of that, especially in like horror films and stuff like that. Oh, for sure. And for me, like it's it's really refreshing seeing just the confidence that he has in, you know, the cinematic format. It's like, because it, it takes confidence. So like Kevin was saying, like let a shot run too long and have that be a thing that's by design. Right. And um, so for me, it was just really inspirational because I was like, 
you know, yeah, you can make these, these really bold uh, decisions. And as long as they all really just come together to tell the story, then they're all justified. And I felt like, you know, for the most part, every single thing in the movie was completely intentional, completely by design and all kind of synergized to tell this, you know, one story. Right. I read that he doesn't do coverage. Oh, so he has very specific, just this shot, this shot, this shot. We're not doing like... I could be making that up, but it makes, like, from what you what you see, it definitely yeah. uh, looks like that, you know? Like, he knows what he's looking for. I wonder how hard they storyboard those those shows. Well, uh, just from the podcast I, I listened to with him, he said he, like, meticulously storyboards stuff. Yeah, really. I think they had the whole, all of the storyboards done for Hereditary before they even had the set built. <laughs> Oh, yeah, because they, they had to have the uh, miniature guys build the miniatures to look just like the sets. So there's like all this coordination that had to happen beforehand that, you know, sounds like a huge pain in the ass to me because I'm usually the AD. So I, was, <laughs> I kept thinking about all that stuff and I was like, oh, Jesus. Right. But yeah. I mean, at the same time, I mean, these are all sets. I mean, the whole film was on a, on a or at least the house was all on a uh, soundstage. So, soundstage, yeah. You know, they could remove walls and really do whatever they wanted. I think. I think uh, one of the my favorite things about Hereditary was is just like on a rewatch of Hereditary and going back and and knowing what you know, you know, after your first viewing of the film and, and knowing how crazy it is in the last twenty minutes, and going back and seeing, like, oh shit, like this cult was running the whole fucking movie, yeah. like they really were, like you know the it, there's a huge emphasis on this like dollhouse or miniatures that that she's creating throughout the film and and like they're they are their own you know pawns they're this is all run by the cult all of the beheadings to summon paymon at the end it was all all they're doing and and all the little things throughout um just so cool i never noticed uh I think, yeah, this is my second time seeing it um, for this, for the podcast, but I didn't notice all the foreshadowy stuff because you're too busy paying attention to like the main story the first time. Right. But like when, when Peter's in class and the teacher's talking about like the Sophocles story and uh, is it more tragic that the characters, you know, were, were screwed from the jump and had no decision or like no, no agency. Is that more tragic or less tragic? And I, I love that, that stuff. And just the idea, like Kev was saying that they're, they're just pawns you know no matter what they do they're they're basically just victims of this cult's uh machinations that was one of the fun things about um watching hereditary after midsummer was that there are so many things in midsummer where it's so apparent uh that he's foreshadowing not the least of which is like this opening uh tapestry you know and all of basically all the tapestry throughout the film is is narrating the film and telling mm -hmm. telling you right. exactly what's going to happen before it happens like the whole thing is is totally projected on the wall before it actually happens which i love that kind of thing oh, one yeah. of my favorite scenes is um halfway through total recall when the guy comes in and ex and explains exactly the plot and tells him exactly what the uh, divergence is yep. and he exactly explains exactly what's going to happen the rest of the movie i just think that's kind of cool yeah, those are um, those are cool touches when you go back and watch it again you're like ah they're winking yeah. at us almost yep. so um going into hereditary you know that first shot you know you know you know from the tapestries this guy has something going on and he, and he has control over every frame of this movie so like the opening of hereditary is that zoom into the dollhouse mm -hmm. and then the dollhouse comes alive mm -hmm. you know and from there i was like well every single thing that they're gonna say is gonna have to do something because even in midsummer in that same uh spot of the movie um where the boys are talking about going to Sweden and whatever. He's like, do you know how many women you could be impregnating women in Sweden? Yeah. Foreshadowing, you know, like the whole yeah. movie is foreshadowed and yeah. he, he does that a lot. And I'm, it can, you can really fuck that up. Yeah. There is delicacy because it could be too on the nose or it's just yeah. like, okay. Well, like the scene in hereditary where she's, uh, uh, I think it's at the grief therapy session is when, when it happened. And um, it was where she was, you hear about, um, was it her brother? Yeah. Her brother yeah. who killed himself. 
yeah. and how that their mom was trying to put people in her and in, in him and stuff. And you're like, yeah, yeah. Yep. that's exactly her what brother Charlie. Yeah, yeah her brother right. Charlie brother Charles right. or whatever. Yeah. Yep. Like, fucking lit. It's yeah. so yeah. good. And what's crazy too is like for me, when I watch a movie like us that has, you know, it it operates pretty heavily on a twist. Yeah. I don't try to figure it out but I know a lot of people who do like, and Amy is one of those people. So when we were sitting at us in the movie theater, she leans over like five minutes into the movie, like in the fun house. And she goes, I know how this movie's going to end. And I said, please don't, please don't tell me. And she goes, okay. And she didn't. And we left the movie and she goes that, yeah, that's literally like, I, I my, my hypothesis was that she switched places, you know? And the same thing, like we watched Carnival of Souls and, you know, same thing, like five minutes in, she leans over and she goes, I think the main character is dead. <laughs> and I was like, how do you, how do you know? And I guess maybe for me, it's cause I like, I, um, I just want to just have a really good time and not figure it out. Like, I'm kind of like, show me what you got. Let's go. Yeah. I'm Let's with go. you. I'm with you. I do the same thing where I'm like, I'll, I'll work my head, but I'm also just kind of like, I'm, I'm a sucker for movie magic. Same. Like I, for, for being as knowledgeable as I feel like I am about all this stuff, either on a technical level or whatever. Um, or a creative level or whatever I every once in a while I'll still be like what like how the fuck did they do that and that's why I still want to do all this you know there's still that kind of like let me just like oh like what happened she did that girl just get decapitated halfway through this movie mm-hmm. see both right both Becca and I are the are the the Amy types where we try and figure out shit it's like <laughs> well, a challenge I can't, to you I can't help it it's like a, I'm a detective man I just yeah, like there that's like no it seems yeah. like, I mean, like, I don't even, I don't even think I've ever been like that, man. I still remember watching Sixth Sense as a kid and being like, oh my God, I had no idea. <laughs> and like, you know, and I remember talking to someone else and they're like, I figured it out, man. There's so many hints throughout the movie, right? Yeah. Do you guys, uh, I don't know if this is appropriate, but um, have you ever heard of a YouTube channel called Dead Meat? Yeah, I love that channel. All right. Yeah, we've been on a real kick with James A. Janice. And yep. if you guys don't know Dead Meat, um it's he this guy is such a professional i gotta he's, tell you he's, he's wonderful <laughs> thumbs up every kill in the movie which ends up summarizing every movie he does a very good job summarizing movies through and through if you don't feel like watching the actual movie um and he counts the kills and then does like the best kill and the worst kill um mm-hmm. but he's got a great sense of humor and he does he moves so fast that he drops like mystery science theater style uh, references throughout the entire yeah. thing like you only catch it if you catch it mm-hmm. um, but uh that's we just watched like i can't even tell you how many like series of films i just watched just by watching dead meat and he does cut comparisons which is fucking awesome oh yeah that it was a fun one is he's he doing it who does the the kill count thing? yeah kill counts golden okay, chainsaw yeah. okay yeah and, and so, he always sneaks in a that's nice <laughs> <laughs> that's well there nice. was i was like flipping Final through car. youtube and i, I came across <laughs> one of them and it's so good he's like one of my favorite channels on youtube but it, it was like so happy it was a movie where like one person died oh yeah <laughs> so like, he's oh. just like fuck all right <laughs> uh i guess the the last thing i wanted to say about hereditary is just to kind of jump into the ending and talk about you know like we're saying how this is all orchestrated by this cult and um for me i just you know from a writer's perspective it was just really great seeing how all these loose ends got tied up so well and it's it's that whole checkoff thing like if you pull a gun out in act one someone better fire it in act three so like there's no there's you know for a movie that's two hours long it's it feels like there's not a wasted moment and everything got completely resolved um as far as like you know this this ritual just coming to an awful head and this kid being forced into you know I guess being the eighth king of hell. What what drives someone to like do a Paymon story? Is that is it just like straight up? Um, I want to do like a Rosemary's Baby type kind of a thing. Like, is that because you know I'm trying to get my thoughts together here because it, it's one of those things where it's like yes, it makes perfect sense. It's all very tight. This movie is about a cult that's that's manipulating an entire family to get to this ends which is like a surprise it's i thought it was so interesting i just thought it was i guess i just don't watch those kinds of movies you know what i mean like i i was wondering where it was going the entire time and then i was like ah that's where it went interesting 
and it had a weird catharsis to it too or yeah. like because like that family was so miserable that for me anyway like when everyone was like okay now you're you're paimon you know fuck yeah you're gonna be the leader of the cult now and then they're all chanting for him it, it, it was very similar like uh, to the ending of midsummer where it's kind of like well at least this character's getting something slightly better than what the fuck they were dealing with because they're like that family was just miserable the whole time and i i, yeah. I, I know it was all by design but mm. like yeah there's there's definitely a weird catharsis to that ending where like it's it's not a good ending but it has this weird energy to it where it's like it's not a complete downer you know yeah. maybe, maybe that has something to do with the music as well like it's this very beautiful kind of orchestration yeah i i guess it is one of those things where it kind of as tight as the script is, it raises more questions than it answers for me. About, I'm far too curious about this cult and what kind of power it has over the town and why the town. Uh, you know what I mean? Like it's it's kind of like they made the movie about a side story that where the actual movie is like way bigger and way yeah. the fuck over there on the other side of town this is just like one family that was affected by this way bigger thing yeah it's fascinating and i and i'll give it to him because he's the only one of the only filmmakers where i'm like i would love to see a sequel even though these movies are not built for sequels um just because i think he would actually take the characters and tell us what's going on. Maybe not hereditary as much as like Midsummer, yeah. but just kind of like what happens to these characters? Cause this is very, I'm, I'm in it. I'm there. I'm, I'm all for them. Yeah. So I'm supposed to give them riches for resurrecting him. That's all. Yeah, I know. Exactly. <laughs> I got you. Fair enough. Did it all for greed. But for me, I would say, I'm trying to think of a good rating, something that's cute and clever. Uh, say Kevin, you go first. Um, I will rate Hereditary the three severed heads to resurrect Paimon or Payman. I give it two slams of my face on a desk. Oh, <laughs> I give it one very portentous telephone pole. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So needless to say, check it out and his, his next movie Midsummer and whatever else this guy does next. Cause he is a talent for sure. Uh, Midsummer is the story of Danny, a uh, young 20-something woman who lost her uh, family uh, due to a really horrible circumstance. And the only person that she really has to lean on is her, her boyfriend, who's, you know, kind of has one foot out the door. He's, he, he wants to break up with her, but he kind of feels obligated to stay with her uh, with everything that's going on in her life. And um, basically, uh, she gets invited, even though his friends don't want to bring her to this trip to... Uh, to Sweden for this midsummer festival that's once every 90 years, right? And um, basically, uh, it it kind of starts a little uh, lighthearted with everyone taking shrooms and tripping balls, and then it slowly kind of descends into something much darker, and we find out that everyone is much, you know, the same and uh, hereditary, but everyone's just a pawn of this scheme uh, from this uh, death cult. Is, is it? A, I guess it is a death cult, but is it a death yeah, cult? Yeah, kind of. I mean, yeah, yeah. Because as an audience member, you kind of get indoctrinated. Like, we survived 100%. the movie. I like uh, the cult, dude, by the end of the movie. Like, I was like, <laughs> I'm so happy that she is with people. Like, maybe I'm just a, a, a very emotional person, but, like, the stuff that really got to me in this movie was when she would cry and people would cry with her. Yeah. Dude, oh, that stuff, yeah. that made me cry, dude. I got, like, teary-eyed watching that because it's so weird and it's, it's so, very like, weird. it's very, like, human, right? Because it's, like, their language is empathy. And yeah. there's that whole thing when they're tripping balls and they're talking gibberish to each other and they're like, we don't need language. We understand. Yeah, that was great. That's so <laughs> yeah. good. Yeah, and so, like, to me, I was like, these people are just on another level and they don't, you know, like, obviously a big theme of this movie uh, is that something that seems crazy to one culture is completely acceptable to another culture. Yeah. And, and they really emphasize that when, uh, you know, there's these two old people and as part of this celebration at the age of 72 people in this, in this commune uh, end their life because they think of life as the four seasons and it ends at 72. And so they go onto uh, to a very high cliff and they jump. And if they don't die, someone comes up with a big whack-a-mole hammer and <laughs> cracks them on the head. And it's gnarly. Well, that's a, it's a terrific um, scene where you see 
how everyone is silent and ready for it but then there are like two people who are just not having it like cannot yeah. believe what they just saw yep. but they're with the audience the audience can't believe what we just saw yeah the, the couple from london else, yeah the couple from london so I guess they are a death cult because ultimately they have to sacrifice all these people and that's why they were brought. And they're a death cult to me because the two people that were going to leave, they murdered them so they wouldn't like rat them out, you that's know? That's true. And to me, that's the fun stuff to think about is like, in, you know, in Hostel, they like explain just enough about that organization that tortures people and you can kind of fill it in. Um, so same thing with the cult where it's like, okay, so they do this once every 70, 90 years, I forget, sorry. But basically there's, there's long enough of a time between these that they you know, hypothetically could get away with murdering some tourists and not having the police come snooping around. And, and uh, he did a, a really great job of, of filling in just enough about this, this commune, this death cult that they answered enough questions, but they also asked a lot too. Yeah. And uh, I'm completely on board with you. I love when movies ask questions and don't explain stuff. Cause that's like, that's uh food for thought. Or it's, yeah, uh, exactly. It makes you think. Yeah, it's stuff that you'll sit there and think about that for years and you can debate it and nobody is right or wrong and it's wonderful. And that's actually a very Kubrick way of thinking too. Like it, yeah. he always said with 2001, if I answered more questions than I uh, asked, then I totally failed. And oh, for sure, that movie doesn't make any lick of sense. So. <laughs> it's all this interpretation. Something I, I did want to kind of get into with uh, uh, Midsummer, though, it's a parallel I, I drew with like Wicker Man and I guess a bit with Hostel, which is the kind of theme of like asshole Americans going into a, into a, you know, someone else's home and kind of like literally in the case of Midsummer pissing on their tree. And um, I think it's fascinating in, in movies when they explore the idea, like you guys know that, that quote, don't let your schooling uh, get in the way of your education. Yeah. Where it's like you, you take these like hyper educated guys that are in like their late 20s early 30s that think they know everything and they're like doctorate that's what uh students so they're all trying to do their theses and um they kind of look at that at this commune as more of a as like a science experiment or something like they're very clinical in the way that they ask questions and observe you know whereas like danny has much more of like a human hands-on interaction where you know um when we when we first meet her character it's in this very oppressive cold apartment in a very secular society where, you know, the only communication she gets is from talking to people on the phone. And um, there's no one really there for her. Her boyfriend doesn't really want to be there for her. But when she goes to this commune, she finally meets some people that are there for her and they're going to go through the things that she feels with her. And I forget the, the name of the friend that is from the group that invites them. But, you know, there's that great scene where... Uh, Pele or something? Yeah, but he, he asked her, do you feel at home with Christian? Do you feel held by him? And that shit hit me like a, like a hammer because <laughs> it's just like, yeah, that's a lot of relationships. Like you can just sit there and ask yourself, do I feel at home with this person? Do I feel like I can be truly vulnerable without them making me seem like I'm being needy? You know, and it's like, because your relationships, while they should take work because nobody's perfect, they should kind of be effortless in a sense, right? Where it's just like, it, they just are you know yeah. and um and that's the thing with that relationship with the boyfriend it's like had had he not been sewn up into a bear and burned alive <laughs> that relationship would have been just him gaslighting her for for 30 40 years and you know her waking up being 60 and wondering what the fuck happened so um the catharsis in midsummer lies in seeing someone who you know in civil or not civilized society but in in american society um they don't really have a place for her because you know oh she's a you know uh like she's a victim of grief she's a basket case and people like that tend to kind of get pushed to the fringes as opposed to this commune where she's you know brought in accepted and arguably loved in a way that she never was before so to me the movie's really beautiful in that sense despite it being kind of a fucked up you know horror movie on the side agreed he does a great job bringing the audience with because I, it's been a while since I watched a movie where I was like, do I love this character? Like, do I, am I in love with Florence Pugh in this? Like, I, I think really I, love yeah, I was. And, um, she's, and, and I don't want to keep using the word fragile, but there's such a nice light touch. Like the way that they sketch the boyfriend character is so important and smart and i don't know if i've actually ever really seen something like that you know they set it up at the beginning oh 
you know, I invited her. What? And all that shit. How he then tells, I keep wanting to call him Cheaty because he played Cheaty on um, The Good Place. But his buddy that he's going to do his subject on the thesis as well. Mm-hmm. And um, waited until like the last minute to do that. I just love that kind of stuff because it is the catharsis. Like when, when the choice is made between the boyfriend and the rando at the end of the movie about who's going to go into the bear costume, like it's, it's a no brainer. Yeah. And that look on her face too, like you can kind of tell it, it, it's breaking her heart to do this, but at the same time it comes after like, you know, just so many examples that just that just we see, but there's probably so much stuff that happened before the movie. Right. Right. But like, he fucking can't remember how long they've been together. He forgets her birthday. Like, it's just like so many little things, but it's kind of like death by a thousand paper cuts. Right. Yeah. He's just a piece of shit. (laughs) But at the same time, like, you know, obviously like dude didn't deserve to get burned alive, but like, you know, sure he did. (laughs) But like, uh, yeah, like I'm with Jake too. Cause I, I remember being, you know, like, 25 and not wanting to commit to stuff or being like guys uh someone says to come in uh i told him you said they can go you know like right that, that stuff was like he nailed that on the head and um yeah just like the, the like those guys weren't particularly likable or whatever but they were definitely like relatable like i i i related to the to the guy that was doing the the thesis paper and he got really yeah. pissed when christian takes his theme because it's like fuck that man come on yeah and and i think we can all relate um I, I don't no matter who's watching the movie like sometimes like you're ready for something to end and then uh a force of god happens and you're just stuck in this position like you just have to stay where you are even though you know like this guy was ready to break up with her mm-hmm it was ready to break up with her and had this huge tragedy not come, you know, like we can, it's a lot of little understandable things, even though it is death by paper cuts, like some of those paper cuts are understandable, you know? And so you keep making these concessions. He really, this Astro dude really knows how to fuck with an audience, man. Mm -hmm. And like the way Danny makes excuses for him throughout the movie. Yeah. Like, oh, he's busy. He forgot. Or like, oh, it's a, you know, he didn't. It's like, no, he just doesn't care. Yeah, he just doesn't. He doesn't care. You know, if he, if he cared, he he would do those things, or he would remember those things. Yeah, and I feel like, oh, sorry. Oh no, I was gonna say like, even like at the beginning when you know he comes up to the apartment and you can hear her screaming, and it's right, right after she finds out her family's dead. Yeah, and he just looks like he's like, I do not want to go up there. And it's like, it's well, like, no one, no uh, one wants uh, to, but like, <laughs> right, right. do what you gotta do. You know, like, and yeah, like. He was totally, like, had that not happened, he probably would have called her and been like, yeah, this isn't working out. Right. For sure. I think I enjoyed Midsummer more than Hereditary. Um, for me, what Hereditary was missing, uh, just from my own experience, like dealing with how families deal with grief, is that there's always a little bit of humor there. Right. People always kind of kind of joke about stuff like, you know, uh, to kind of help them get through it. And Hereditary didn't really have like there's a couple of lines but it's pretty bleak movie and um it felt like it's it's obviously by design but like if i had to pick one to watch i would choose midsummer because it's so much funnier and it makes it like there's just there's like some laugh out loud lines in that movie right. and um the way that it, it 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 mixes all these different themes you know and uh and tones into kind of one thing i think works for me better just because i'm kind of into weirder movies like that but hereditary is is definitely a straightforward very well executed uh, executed movie but if i had to pick one on the shelf i'd go to midsummer every time i um (laughs) i was on a plane uh coming home from florida from a trip to florida and you know they had the the screens built into the back of the seats or whatever and i'm flipping through it and and i passed through hereditary i'm like oh this would be a good movie I'm like, man, people th- are gonna think I'm a fucking weirdo if they look over my screen and they see like fucking Charlie getting decapitated and fucking all this crazy shit. It was great. I watched the whole thing. It was awesome. Right. That's how I watched uh, Killing of a Sacred Deer. Oh yeah. Oh, what a good movie. Yeah, and someone was totally, totally watching the movie from over my shoulder, and I was like, I just like looked at him and I said, "It's good. Check it out." So what do you guys give it? I will give it. One hollowed out straw man with a jester cap. A good one. I give it a one bloody eagle. Ooh. Because that shit was gnarly. That's 
good. He was, um, he was still breathing, man. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah, the, the eagle. That's right. Oh, my God. Yeah. We didn't even talk about that. Yeah. There were some good deaths. Never mind. I'm just so overshadowed <laughs> by um, how actually good the movie is and like the story plot theme and characters yeah maybe maybe even though we did we we did get into spoilers we'll leave the deaths to you guys if you haven't seen the movie because they are kind of spectacles they're operatic and and that's literally the exact opposite of kill count so well, for sure <laughs> <laughs> i'll give it a couple people jumping off a cliff sounds good dope I'll give it. all right so that was our breakdown of those two movies we hope you guys enjoyed them and we are going to move into uh probably Kevin's favorite part of the show, which is where we talk about some supernatural business. And uh, with our guest today, uh, Jake S. Wiseman, who uh, I met, uh, as I said earlier, uh, he was uh, one of the man uh, managers at the new 400 theater. That's an old building. And there are some ghost stories to be told about that building. <laughs> so I would like to uh, hand the mic over to Jake, if, if you would be so kind and maybe tell us one of your stories from your experience there. Okay, that's cool. So the new 400 theater was built in 1912, right? Um, so it's been operating as a movie theater for over a hundred years. Uh, both Nate and I have been lucky enough to be the late night janitor of the new 400 theater, which is a special experience and you don't understand it until you have to leave your home at 11 o'clock at night and, and get home at 3 30 in the morning <laughs> clean had, an entire theater by yourself <laughs> at two in the morning i had a i had a buddy who worked at a theater a, a bigger theater um and he at one point in time he would text me super late at night he'd be like hey do you want to go watch and whatever it would be whatever new movie was coming out because he had to screen them all <laughs> and and I, I don't know if you guys had to do that too but it was awesome, man. He, we, we, it would just be the two of us. We'd get a bunch of fucking snacks or whatever, and then just go, go up into the like, turn the fucking movie on and watch the entire movie. Oh yeah, empty theater, nobody else there. We it call them uh, awesome. We call them family screenings at the New Four Hundred, yeah. and yeah. we would we, we would try to, you know, like if the witch came out, we all did fireball shots before, and right. Hillary threw her shoe at the movie because it frustrated her at the time. <laughs> Uh, you know, but like we, we we would do stuff like that. Where like uh, I remember watching The Conjuring Two with Jake was an absolute joy. I um, scream and I laugh. Yeah, I laugh you, very you, you, loudly during uh, horror movies. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, I, just, I just sit back from my mic, but Jake goes, ah. <laughs> 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 and then the same thing with like it. I remember it was fun watching with you as well. That's awesome. <laughs> well, yeah, we, it, uh, what was it? It Part Two, where I got, had to wait like an hour and a half before I was like, Yo, Nate. Can I start yelling about this movie yet? Yeah, this one's not as good as the first one was. <laughs> I'm trying to be good. Can I not? Can I start talking? <laughs> but it is one of those things where you learn really quickly that you don't want to be um, wearing headphones. You want to listen to your music out loud. You know, yeah. like you don't, you want to have your blind corners open. Uh, you want to be able to see behind you. We'd always heard uh, different horror stories and different ghost stories about the theater. Um, I had a friend who used to say, you know, it's all well and good now. God help anybody who raises this building. Anyone who tears this building down and turns it into something else is really going to be haunted. Yeah. The ghosts were pretty happy, I think, at our place. But um, you really felt it at night when you were, uh, while we were janitoring and especially in theaters three and four. Because um, the way the theater is laid out is a little bit of a labyrinth. Um, and it seems much smaller from the outside than it is. It's very, very, very big. And uh, you go down this middle hallway and kind of in the center of everything is theaters three and four. And um, that's where most of the stuff used to happen. It would start as very little things like you just find sunflower seeds all over the place. Oh, yeah. And it's just like, man, A, we didn't sell anything. B, no one was here. Where are these sunflower seeds coming from? When we were shooting about when we were shooting, um, let's all go to the lobby. Did we use one of the like theater three or four to store our gear in? Uh yeah. we shot in theater four. Yeah, but we stored stuff I th uh, think right across the hallway from it. 
And that would have been theater three. So I remember I had to go grab something and nothing happened, but I just remember, I mean, not only was it dark and stuff, but I was by myself. I had to go grab, I don't know what it, it was a lens or something. And I'm like, dude, I don't feel right. Like something's yeah. like watching. I, it, it didn't, it was, it was weird. It was spooky. <laughs> yeah. So one night we are, uh, one of the things that we do is turn on the floodlights, turn on the floodlights, makes everything much brighter. It's easier to clean and it gives everything it's, it's just brighter, which is nice, especially if you're by yourself. One time I was with the person who I was janitoring with and we were cleaning theater three and what one in the morning or something. And we hear what sounds like a dead body fall on the ground above us. Theater three had this overhang where the projector is. So most of it is this big empty auditorium, but there's this overhang, which was upstairs where like, you know, where you show the movie. Um, and it, I swear to God, we looked at each other and I was gonna ignore it. And she was like, well, you need to go up there and check and see if there's like <laughs> a human here. Fuck, okay, yeah, sure. So uh, <laughs> she was like, I'll stay at the bottom of the stairs make sure no one goes up. Cool. <laughs> um, and I went up there and um, what it was, was uh, they were these old slide projectors back when we were kids and we'd go to the movies before things were all digitized. They would have slide projectors uh, before the movie started having like movie trivia and shit like that. And uh, like anagrams or whatever. Well, we had those all from way back when, and they were stacked up in one spot above theater three and they had never been moved ever, ever, ever had been moved. No one even touched them. Uh, they were out of the way. So when I went upstairs trying to find this body, the slide projectors, there were like two or three of them just strewn on the ground. They had fallen out of nowhere. So that was the biggest one. But then I was talking to somebody one day and this guy goes and watches a movie in theater three. And before he starts the movie, he says, hey man, I helped build this theater. It used to be a one house theater. Now it's a four house theater. I'm one of the guys who helped make it a, uh, a four house. And I was like, oh cool, enjoy the show. And so after the movie, he came out and I was like, did you enjoy it? He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, did you see her yet? <laughs> I went, excuse me? He said, did you see her yet? I was like, what? He goes, there is a lady who lives in theater three who used to move my tools around all the time. And I had heard stories. Uh, if you ask Hillary, she has a story about a woman who's walking down the hallway. Yep. Um, yep. And so it's pretty well believed i would love to get this place on um dead files me uh, too man i mean for, <laughs> for me i mean i i was a janitor uh at night there for like two years and um the only thing that ever happened to me was like one time i did what jake said not to do and i was wearing headphones in both ears turned up very very loud and right as a song finished i heard a very loud and shrill like woman screaming but it came from theater two so I, I like shit my pants. I like, it made my blood go cold. And so I went in there and I didn't hear anything again. And so like, you know, the human mind is amazing at bullshitting itself. So to, to be able to finish the shift, I was like, Oh, it must've been the, the HVAC. Yeah. <laughs> totally, well, that's, all, that's all you could do. Totally normal thing that the HVAC makes it sound like a woman being stabbed to death. You know, it's very, very normal. <laughs> um, so guys, I, I, when you did your janitor stuff, was it were you, were you by yourself most of the time or did you most, I like, mean yeah Jake, Jake would work uh, in a team sometime and uh, yeah. I had it like someone helped me once or twice and I would just like throw him like 20 bucks it's like just so I didn't have to be alone and I was hanging out with a friend yeah. but like I was gonna say like um, I would not want to be there just by, like, 99 percent of the time I was by myself and yeah I used to do it alone a lot yeah the stuff that would freak me out would be uh doing the check at the end of the night um, which yep. also there's a funny story about one time that I did not do the check and I left a dude sleeping in a movie theater <laughs> all night 
and uh, Jake had to call me and tell me, and he's like, everyone gets their, their one. Everyone, everyone gets their one really big mistake right. when you manage a shift where you can leave a human being sleeping in the building, but don't do that again. It was one in the morning. Yeah. Well, wasn't he there all night? It was late. We had cleaned three and four already. Oh, you, we, were you guys found him. Theater, we were sitting in theater one, taking a break, and dude just like walks down the hall. <laughs> I was terrified. I felt I was so terrified. Bad. But so it's just like they say. Uh, and check check your six make sure you yeah, check your corners do a boogie check no matter what just do a boogie check even if you know it just go in there and make sure no one's sleeping because they're big they're big rooms but def- i mean like i never had anything like physically move around on me but it's you know definitely stuff like the phone would ring and no one would be on the other end and or you know like for yeah. me it's the creepy stuff is the more human stuff like if there's some guy standing outside looking at you through the through the windows at two in the morning knocking on the glass yeah that's like scary. that's a very yeah. real just li- fear of living in the city kind of moment you know right and um, I, I had those for sure all the time or like you're leaving yeah. the theater and someone comes up to talk to you and it's two in the morning and you're just like i am terrified well <laughs> sometimes you'd i'd fall asleep and so i'd wake up and it would be like one in the morning and be like oh fuck i gotta go clean the theater I would walk and go get there at 1.45 and then spend three hours doing the thing. So I one time I walked, and I swear to God, it was straight out of Dead Island, guys. It was straight out of Dead Island. I walked there, and there was a guy at the end of the sidewalk, and I was was right in front of the theater, and the dude screamed like, ah! <laughs> and then started bolting towards me, like sprinting towards me. I have, I think, only twice in my life have I ever thrown my dukes, like put up my dukes, and was like, "Get the fuck away from me!" Oh, and he goes, "You get the fuck away from me! You get the fuck away from me!" You're running toward me, man. And I whipped out my keys and ran inside, and was like, Jesus. "Oh my god!" So that <laughs> stuff was definitely more scary, and I didn't. But don't it. miss those moments. I no no no, sure. no no. There's a component in me that misses certain aspects of that job. Like I miss watching movies. I obviously miss like bullshitting with you because it was a good excuse to hang out and stuff. But like, yeah. I don't miss being on the receiving end of people's tempers. I don't miss um, some of the bullshit that we obviously don't have to get into that came along yeah. with that. But like the. Yeah, like having to deal with the general public because the public can be a little scary sometimes. Well, even just outside that, just um, I'm glad to not have to deal with the drunks at the movie theater. No one, absolutely, likes a, no one likes a drunk at a movie theater, and and it's just more and more prevalent now. So, guys, I'm cool. We had a saying at our theater, listeners. We said we like you drinking, we don't want you drunk. Right. What was the other one? We have a bar. We're not a bar. Yeah, definitely. That was another good one too. So. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things, but it was always, it always seemed like there were happy ghosts mostly or prankster ghosts or anything like that. There, and, and cause I heard someone, some medium went into theater three and said, Oh, it's a lady. And, um, she loves kids movies. She loved Coco and hated it. You know, like she hated horror movies. So it was very sweet kind of stuff like that. But I always got bad mojo when I went into the basement and I never won. I would never go there into the basement at night. And when I did go to the basement, it was like, I, A, want to film a movie here. And B, there has got to be bodies buried here. There's oh, sure. got to be some prohibition era crazy Corpses. shit down here. I just know it. I, that, again, for for legal purposes, it's all you know alleged. It's all speculation. <laughs> it's a one hundred percent fantasy. I'm totally coming up with it on my own. But walking through that place, I was like, every time I went to the basement, I was like, get me the fuck out of here. Because no matter how much of a labyrinth the movie theater is, the basement was even worse. It was a great movie set. Jake, uh, I guess just to put a to uh, a button on it from my experience, you summed it up perfectly when we worked there together. You said. Um, well, think about it like this, like spirits or energy, right? A movie theater is literally this conduit of not only electricity, which is, you know, uh, energy in the literal sense, but people go to the movies to feel emotion. They go to the movies to feel the human experience. So like, if you're a spirit, if you're going to be drawn to a fucking place, you're probably going to be drawn to the place that's like the bastion of the human experience, right? Fair and enough. so I remember you saying that. And I was like, that's kind of beautiful, man. Like, it makes sense that like spirits would come here because it's like, it's a perfect place. 
It's everything. That is lovely. I don't remember everything. saying that at all. Thank well, you. Take, take credit. <laughs> take credit, it. credit where credit's due, baby. You said it. Um, so, like that—that that sums it up for me. I didn't. I never really had um, anything that crazy of, a, uh, of an experience there. I always wish I kind of did, but at the same time, I'm kind of stoked I didn't. Because you know, like nothing puts a damper on your five-hour work shift uh, than having to work three hours while you're terrified that a ghost is going to murder you. Yeah, I. Um... Uh, I tell this anecdote a little bit every once in a while where uh, I had a dream once where I dreamed that I saw aliens and I said out loud, cool, now I don't have to worry about this anymore. Aliens exist. I don't have to think about it anymore. No, no more speculation. And that's kind of how I would like to feel about um, the theater and ghosts and stuff where like uh, when we talk about it, yeah, that would be interesting but I remember being at the theater and I remember cleaning it at three in the morning. And if I would have seen a fucking person, like an apparition, yeah, I never would have gone back. Yeah, I never would have gone never, back. Never, ever, <laughs> ever would have gone back. Yeah, I'm good. I would just quit on the spot. <laughs> Sorry, Hillary. <laughs> it's, a, it's a romantic thought, but if we're going to get down to brass tacks, fuck that. <laughs> 100%. So, um, I know we have so much more that we can get into, man. I have like so many more things I want to talk to you about. Uh, so hopefully we can, you know, keep bringing you on yeah. the show and everything. I'd love um, to just to wrap it up, man, I just want to say um, thank you for coming on the show. You know, like you're one of the thank first you. people I wanted to bring on. And, you know, again, not to wax your car too much, but, you know, I love you, man. You're one of my best friends. Um, you're one of my favorite people that I met in Chicago. I've been up here 10 years and I think I have like, you know, uh, Kev always teases me. He says everyone's my best friend, but I have I have like five best friends, you know, and 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 they're all film people. And I met you guys because we're all passionate about the same stuff. Yeah. And um, so I, I feel very blessed to have you in my life. Um, it sucks that obviously the pandemic went down for obvious reasons, and people have been pushed apart from each other. But hopefully, once all this <laughs> blows over, we can get back on a set and. Uh, I would love to write another script with you. I have a uh, stupid script about a cat I would like to send your way that I'd like to talk I, to you about. I got a pitch for both of you guys. Too. Perfect. Uh, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, just for everyone at home, uh, look up Jake, look up his movie, uh, Scrapers, look up Clean Sheets. Uh, check him out. He is a unique voice in the space. And uh, I feel like we'd be remiss to not try to put a spotlight on, on just how special of a person you are. Thanks so much. I feel the exact same way. And uh, it's so easy to talk to you guys. It's so, you, it's, it's so hard to spend, to even spend 10 minutes on the phone with some people. And it's just nothing to talk two hours about. We just burn two hours and 20 minutes. It's just like, this is like not even close to being half of a shift. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> oh, I, can, I can, Yeah. If, if, if I didn't have uh, to go out there and go do some stuff right now, like I got some errands to run, I'd be like, let's go for another well, if anyone ever wanted to listen to a seven-hour one, we could do it. Do it eventually. Well, I wouldn't put anyone through it. But yeah, that's, like, what I'm that's, saying. What, right. that's what the shifts at the theater were. Like, right. If we're not working, we're we're just shooting the shit, and it's really, really, really nice to do that again. And that's, that's actually the perfect way to bring it home because uh, I guess that leaves us uh, with this. You know, for everyone at home, if you made it this far into the conversation, pat yourself on the back. Uh, thank you so much for listening to us gab about movies you know be sure to join us again we're going to bring jake on real soon to talk about uh korean horror cinema we're going to bring him on to talk about uh, some more of his work I'd, I'd really like to talk about your movies and uh you know just make sure to stick with us because we got some cool stuff coming up guys can't wait um, this has been those who remain